Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shocker. My guest today is Cam Juarez. Cam Juarez was born to migrant farm worker parents in Yuma, Arizona. He's a founding member of the Arizona Cesar E. Chavez Holiday Coalition, and he was chair of the coalition when it became a citywide holiday. He joined the National Park Service in January 2016, where he serves as the Community Engagement and Outreach Coordinator and Public Information Officer for Saguaro National Park. And he also sits on the park's leadership team there. Welcome. Hey, Amanda, how are you? It's a pleasure to join you again. I'd love to hear what you're working on and, and catch up with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, um, it's it's been quite a year uh, for so many of us. I mean, everybody's been impacted by by this pandemic, um, you know, and, and I've been fortunate that I've, I've uh, quarantined uh, with my Montserrat Caballero, also, you know, pretty active member in the community, um, and my son, Julian, um, who is now in the sixth grade, um, and he has, you know, been, been learning from home and Somehow, you know, through all his struggles, he's been able to maintain some really good grades, and and uh, he's really into uh, video games and muscle cars right now. So he, all we talk about is is Mustangs and you know Dodge and stuff. So I'm googling like crazy so I can sound knowledgeable to my son. So it's it's been okay, you know, on the home front, um, you know, uh, with with the health issues, you know, that we we are addressing. You know, that was that's always issue uh, something fun. That we have to deal with, but um, you know, we we got our vaccine, so we're 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 happy about that. But you know, we also know that there's so many more people out there that still need to get those and, and you know get that herd immunity going. So other than that, um, I'm uh, teleworking, so I'm at the park maybe one or two days a month, uh, maybe for a few hours. But for the most part, uh, my boss has me working uh, from home. Uh, so I, it's been interesting not having to drive the 40 miles to and from the park every day. Um, it's going to be a little hard to get to used to get when we when we get back, you know, which is my hope uh, that we get, we get back soon. But um, yeah, and you know, just working on projects since I'm not in the field a lot, like I like I typically am when when I'm you know when pre-COVID, um, I have been working uh, pretty diligently on pivoting, you know, into digital content. But more importantly, I finally had the time to sit down and take everything that's been in my head and in my heart and put it on paper. And I've been working on a long-range uh, uh, strategic plan for for the park, uh, specifically related to our our park's uh, engagement goals. So that's been um, a lot of the work I've been doing. I've, I've been maintaining partnerships with the university. All in all, things are going well. I mean, we um, we've been working well with the University of Arizona's public health uh, program, and so working with uh, a graduate student group, and I'm also working with about a hundred. Uh, undergrads and, and some blue chip students from, at the U of A um, and just trying to maintain our, our relationships with all the other partners that we've developed over the last uh, five years. Before you joined the park, did you see that as a natural part of your career tra trajectory? You know, not really. No, I, um, I as, as I've been doing this, I've, I've, I've been getting really focused on storytelling and, and trying to use that as an engagement tool, um, not just for our external audiences or our potential visitors, but um, for internal audiences, you know, as, uh, as over the last five years, I've managed to uh, attend some, some trainings. I've also managed to 
uh, trained some people myself. You know, we we have the uh, superintendents roundtable that they call, and so you have superintendents typically. You know, not COVID times, but typically they you have a group of superintendents that are 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 going through you know training to continue to be better superintendents. So they travel around the country, and 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 see what other parks are doing, and so I've managed to to talk to a few of those groups over the years and um you know just the, the idea of engaging underrepresented audiences emerging audiences as, as sometimes are called um has been kind of a new thing for the park um ever since 2016 rolled around uh the current director and and the the current administration at the time were really focused on uh the idea that our 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 demographics were were, were changing there was a huge shift on the horizon um, and and um, as the census were rolling through from 2010 into 2020, they realized that they were going to have a larger number of people of color uh, in this country that were being counted. Um, and so if they didn't engage them soon, those folks would not have the kind of love that traditional park enthusiasts have for national parks. I mean, for some families, it's it's just a generation that's you know transcended three, four, five generations of getting in the old family truckster and traveling to Yosemite or, or Yellowstone or whatever national park they were going to. So growing up, um, we lived in California as migrant farm workers. And uh, one one summer, my sister brought home a boyfriend, uh, Phil. Uh, and Phil, um, as I understood it, had spent some time as a seasonal ranger. And that's how ultimately he got us into Yosemite National Park. Well, he got us to go to Yosemite National Park. And we're like, why do we want to go there? We could just go to the neighborhood municipal park and have a birthday party there. And he's like, it's so cool. We got to go. So we ended up going and Phil ended up, you know, being that, that he looked like John Denver along, you know, he had the whole, you know, bell bottom pants and the funky haircut. Uh, but he was this big, tall, goofy white dude. And my sister and him unfortunately didn't end up together, but fortunately for my brother-in-law, you know, things worked out for him instead. But Phil was this great influence on connecting with the outdoors. He, he was really outdoorsy. He was the first guy I saw have one of those uh, pocket knives with the little wooden handles. And so I remember one year he gave me one of those uh, raccoon caps with the tail. And I felt like, you know, like I belonged. It was it was this crazy moment of, of, of acculturation and of integration into, into traditional uh, you know, American concepts. And and so, you know, I watched Leave it to Beaver and stuff like that. So I knew that they were different than I was, you know, I knew that they ate sandwiches and I, and I ate burritos. And, and so it was, it was this weird moment of knowing that I belonged in this country, you know, and that I spoke the language. And so um, over the years, I spent some time going, you know, being outdoorsy, but not really to the extent that I am now. Uh, I mean, now we have like a garage full of camping gear um, and we hike regularly, you know, I was really excited when I got my new pair of hiking shoes a couple days ago um, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, and I say this with a grain of salt, I'm really proud to be a park ranger as an individual. Sometimes the institution itself, I'm still very critical of, and I, and I know that we need to grow and we need to change and we need to adapt to the times. And when you work for an organization that's over a hundred years old, there's a lot of traditions there that you have to question and you have to speak up out against. And, and sometimes you, you, you don't always fall into the best light when, when you're a park ranger and you're questioning your organizational traditions. Um, and and it's, it's not like it's horrible, 
But, you know, a few months back when there was issues on the wall before, you know, the election results and all that, um, there was park rangers that were engaging in, in a very disrespectful way with First Nation peoples, with Altham and other peoples. Um, and that was disheartening. It, it's hard to do my job when when you're considered part of that problem, part of the, those, you know, those bad apples, if you will. And they were they were just doing their job, as some people say. But still, you know, if, if I was forced in that situation, it would be really hard for me to just be okay with that. And, and that's the hard part about being a park ranger. And that's, how, that's why I never really saw myself as a community organizer. I've always had a, a decent relationship with law enforcement officers, but that's what I am now. I am a federal law enforcement officer. I enforce federal policies on federal lands. And, um, and I talk to people outside of our boundaries about connecting to the park, but connecting in a way that the park recognizes is, is a, is a positive way of engaging the outdoors you know so so there's a lot of negotiation and as a as a person of, of mexican descent as a mexican-american as, as a chicano i i walk in two worlds all the time as a person who has a physical disability but doesn't always identify as a disabled person i walk in two worlds as a person growing up with male uh you know cis privilege i also recognize that i'm married to a feminist and that i have people in my family that don't necessarily align themselves with the gender that they were born into. And so I recognize that I'm constantly um, split down the middle sometimes, you know, and, and I exist in two worlds. And so being a park ranger is something that is, is part of my identity, but I'm also a proud Chicano who has been active in this community for a long time. So I'm, I'm happy to say I'm able to find a happy marriage between those two. And, and I'm able to, you know, there's this concept, acculturation. Uh, and acculturation is becoming, you know, let's just use the example of being, you know, of no descent and being American, being, being a US citizen. I have all those traditions that my family, I have me speak Spanish fluently. My mom, you know, is, is, a, is a close link to, to that. Uh, my father as well, my brothers and sisters as well, right? My, my uncles, my aunts, everybody, the, the community I live in, I was telling my son that I'm going to be a Tucson resident um, in uh, in July. It will be 20 years that I moved here, uh, and I've lived here longer than I've lived uh, any almost anywhere else. Um, and uh, and so Tucson's my home. Um, and so being Latino, being a Tucsonan, a Tucsonense, um, having the people that I have had, you know, the the privilege of being mentored by. People like Raúl Grijalva, Adelita Grijalva, you know, Dolores Huerta, Richard Elias, all these people that are so important to me, you know, um, they've, they've made me proud of who I am. But I also recognize that I have to uh, apply, before I used to apply county policies, now I apply federal policies to inviting people to these spaces and sharing these spaces and being constantly focused on ensuring relevancy, diversity, and inclusion. And that means parks for all. And that all is not just our traditional pillars, but intersections in those pillars, you know, being cognizant of using your pronouns. So you create an inviting space for people who may not align themselves with male or female. And so that's a struggle because you constantly have to be right. You have to be almost perfect on a lot of things because you're looked to as a leader sometimes. And, and, and that's, that's, that's one of those things that I am proud that I continue to strive to do better day after day. But it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, you know, and, 
especially when you see park rangers, you know, harassing Native American people at the border. It's 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 uh it's challenging. You're listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today is Cam Juarez, and he's a community engagement and outreach coordinator and public information officer for Saguaro National Park, where he also serves on the park leadership team. And he also uh, is a, a proud Chicano, proud Mexican-American with, a, with an activist background. It's really interesting to hear how you use who you are in your work and how you use that to create the goals and the strategies for engagement with the saguaro parks yeah you know um the, the one of the things i heard at one of the first um trainings that i went to it was a it was a training for interpreters in the park and interpreters for the interpretation is different than you know language interpretation right? it's how you interpret history I mean, I was trained in, in college uh, to be a critical thinker. Uh, I mean, my, my undergrad is in Chicano studies and my graduate degree is, is in urban planning. So it's always about looking at the space, at the situation with a critical eye. How, how do you make this more accessible to people? How do you make it better? How do you connect people uh, in, in meaningful ways? And so, you know, my first training, I hear, you know, at that point to be one of my colleagues and, and he was saying, he was kind of speaking to the the the, um, the, the speaker at the conference in 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 a kind of disrespectful way in in, in my perspective and, and and basically he was doing what some some folks call mansplaining to this this female professional you know who had been doing this and had a, you know books published and was well known in the community what she did and so he was telling her that the park service. Uh, was known around the world as as, as the foremost uh, group of historians, and you know I, I couldn't resist, and, and so I raised my hand. And at this point, you know the presenter knew who I was because I had made a couple other comments, and I was always trying to be respectful, uh, and I, I, I still am. And so I said, uh, you know, Ranger, and he goes, Ranger John. I'm like, yeah, of course, Ranger John. Um, you know, uh, and he was one of the few folks at the at the conference that was still wearing his uniform I mean, he definitely like embodied you know the park ranger tall you know gray hair on the side but you know he was he was very you know like very manly and very you know like i said he he, he epitomized you know what i what i thought to be a park ranger right very intelligent and eloquent and so so, so ranger john i said uh, you know there's there's a proverb uh, that i've heard over the years and the proverb goes um so is um, until the lion learns to speak, the stories of hunting will only be told by the hunter. And the room was, there was a pretty big group of Native American folks there, and the room just burst into applause. You know, and all these all these Native American rangers and and you know folks that were conscientious and thought that this guy was being a little disrespectful. Maybe um, I, I'm not sure. I can't speak for them, but. What I can say is that, you know, he and I spoke afterwards and I said, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I was just, what I'm saying is that the history of, of our country is, is a complex one and I'm proud to be an American, but I also recognize that this country is built on a lot of things that we aren't all that proud of. You know, if, if we're talking about slavery, if we're talking about taking this land from First Nation peoples, if we talk about how we've treated people uh, over the years, whether they were Irish or Chinese or Japanese or Mexican or Black, 
I mean, we've got a long history of us not being so nice to each other. And um, while I, I agree with you that, you know, we, we, we are the care, caretakers of, of history, you know, we, the Park Service is not just about beautiful landscapes and about these open lands, you know, it's also about protecting the civil rights movement and, you know, the, the Dr. King's home. So we're, we're the caretakers, right, of, of this history. And we protect places like, you know, Cesar Chavez's 40 acres in La Paz, you know, that's, that's a Cesar Chavez, um, you know, national monument. And we protect various locations uh, that, 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 that talk about the history of the civil rights movement from uh, the home of, of uh, Medgar Evers and his wife and, and uh, Dr. King's uh, birthplace and the church and you know, a, a whole lot of other places, the, the, you know, the Emmett Bridge. There's so many places that are, are designed to conserve that history and protect that history. So uh, we can experience it and enjoy it uh, and, you know, and, and think about, it. but also it's there for future generations. So while I agreed with him that you know, we are you know, some of those protectors of, of that history, we have to be protectors of that history and be cognizant that some of that history, whether it's the Civil War uh, sites or, or whether it's you know, the Revolutionary War sites, we, or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, we just celebrated the, the centennial of the women's right to vote. And, and um, so all of those places are important to protect, but we have to be cognizant and sensitive to other members of our community that might not necessarily be on that side. Maybe some people were on, you know, the the, the, the gray side versus the blue side of the Civil War. Maybe we've got people that, that are descendants of slaves, and we're talking about preserving plantations. So we have to be sensitive, and we we have to be cognizant of all those things that we do. And if we don't do that effectively, we we can be very disrespectful to those people. I mean. Here in, in Tucson with Sewell National Park, we have a great working relationship for the most part with the Tohono O'odham uh, Nation. Um, they come into the West District, into Tucson Mountain District, and they harvest saguaro fruit. But there's a whole permitting process involved. And this is this is autumn land. This is native land. And so for us to go and say, well, you have to fill out this permit, it, it's just procedure. Um, but we make it as 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 easy as, as, as it's possible. And, and I know that there's been a lot of people before me at definitely higher grades than I am that have worked really hard to protect that relationship and to conserve those spaces so that those stories and those traditions can continue. Um, and so that, that is what I'm proud about, you know, working with the Park Service. But, you know, in 2015, when, when I met the superintendent of, of the National Park, uh, Darla Seidels, um, Darla approached me at an event where I was acting as a, as a school board member and she said, hey, you know, can, can we grab a cup of coffee and, and talk a little bit? And at that point, she knew that they were looking for a position uh, that essentially was, was one of the first kind of, it, uh, of positions in the Park Service that specifically was designed to engage underrepresented audiences. Specifically here in Tucson, they were looking to, to seek the engagement of Latino audiences, you know. Some people argue we're 44%, some people argue we're 46% of the population. Um, it's hard to nail that down. But I mean, somewhere in there, we're almost half the population of Tucson. And uh, a lot of those folks, including myself, had never been to Saguaro National Park. Um, you know, when, she, when we were in the, in, the, in the talk, I mentioned that I had never been to Saguaro, but that I you know, regularly went to Mount Lemon, to Madera Canyon. And so she asked me, what's the difference? And I said, well, you know, for a long time, you know, we, we heard the, 
you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, you know, with Woodsy Owl. And we, we heard, you know, uh, Smokey Bear talk about only you can prevent forest fires. So there was campaigns designed to invite people into that conversation. The Park Service really didn't do any of that. You know, the Park Service was a tradition. We're here. If you want to participate with us, you're welcome to come. Here's our fee schedule. You know, and it's about conservation. It's about protecting those wild spaces. Um, and and uh, Forest Service is more about land use. So it's almost designed to, to invite people. So there was a different approach. And I said, look, I just never really felt invited. And quite frankly, I didn't even know you existed for a long time. And, um, and I consider myself an environmentalist. So when she told me the story of, you know, how that, that monument, ultimately the park came to be, I was really interested. And she said, look, we have all these programs that are engaging um, Latino, Native, African-American, you know, and other underrepresented audiences, their, their youth through uh, education programs and through field trips. But we really need to get the whole family unit here. How, how do we do that? And so I gave her some ideas. A couple of weeks later, she called me. And she's like, look, I really want to hire you. And I said, look, I'm, I'm kind of happy at the county. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm living what I'm doing. But there was a lot of reasons why I joined. You know, one of them was financial, quite frankly. It wasn't that the job was paying more. Uh, federal service just, you know, it, it isn't private sector, so you're not going to make a ton of money. But um, as, as a citizen, as, a, as a, a student who had just graduated from the University of Arizona with some, some college debt, um, one of those things was, look, you, you work federal service for 10 years and you qualify for the student loan forgiveness program. And I was like, you know what, that sounds really, really uh, definitely a good thing for me and my family. So I said, you know what, let's, let's talk some more and let's see what we can do. It took about a year and then I came on board in 2016, uh, right as, as the Park Service was celebrating their centennial. So there was a lot of attention on engaging underrepresented audiences. At the time, they were predicting that they were only getting about 2% Latino uh, audiences. And I, at the, when I got hired, I was told I was one of, I was part of the 1% in the National Park Service. I was 1% of the, the employees in the Park Service, about 29,000 employees, only 1% was, was Latino is what they had told me. And, and so that's grown over the, over the last few years. And, and quite frankly, you know, this, this last generation, the millennials have really jumped in and try to get those jobs because they've been made aware like previous generations of like, for example, I, I found out about recycling when I was a kid in school. And so we were pushing our parents to recycle at home. And so that's how the recycle movement started, right? It started in the schools. And so millennials have been really adamant about environmental uh, issues. I mean, climate change, you know, global warming, all that stuff is stuff that's in their minds. And so we've had quite a bit of an increase in the diversity, not just of gender, but also of, of, uh, of ethnic and, and racial background. And so um, there's places that are doing it way better than others. Um, and, um, and so we definitely have a fair, our fair share of Latino uh, folks working at, at, at Saguaro, but um, we don't have a lot of African-American folks working at Saguaro or native folks working at Saguaro or Pan-Asian or any of the other groups. And so um, I was recruited with the intention of increasing not only the diversity of our park staff. Um, so I, I sit in on meetings and, you know, I'm like, oh, these candidates are great. Uh, you know, so it's not like some, some folks might argue it's the, it's the um, you know, you're getting in because you're this or you're that. No, I mean, people are hired for their skill sets, but we definitely have to expand where we're recruiting for those skill sets. If we're only relying on college interns that can afford to live off of a $500 monthly stipend, 
then that group is going to look very monochromatic. I mean, it's going to be not just monochromatic in their skin tone, but monochromatic in their socioeconomic status. So when we got there, I said, look, we really need to be recruiting for some of these interns uh, at the high school level uh, and not just at the university, but also at Pima College, where we're naturally going to see a higher uh, diverse you know, applicant pool. So we, we went in that direction a lot. And, and so, um, you know, long before I got to the park, there was folks uh, like Chip Littlefield and, and Don Swan, uh, Andy um, Fisher, my boss, and, and a lot of other folks who were already pushing to increase the diversity at the park. The issue was they were trying, but the folks just weren't responding to those strategies. And so over the last five years, we've seen a pretty dramatic increase in the visitation to the park. But more importantly, we've seen this awareness grow in the community. And the biggest compliment that I get from my colleagues at work are like, hey, Cam, I just met another one of your fans. I was getting food at a restaurant in uniform. And they asked me if they if I if they need if I knew you because we had the same uniform we had the same hat, um, so they recognize that stuff and it's it's a great compliment it's a great compliment to go to an event or get invitations from ongoing you know um, signature events in our community like Seclovia or Festival Books and stuff like that I mean so our our, our friends of Saguaro National Park Group their their mission is really entrenched in in creating that those diverse opportunities um, our our uh, collaborator cooperative partner, Western National Parks Association, also very in, in, invested in, in creating those, those diverse opportunities. So um, when I got to the park, I was like, okay, what are you guys doing? It doesn't seem like you're doing much. And the more I worked there, the more I understood folks, the more I experienced conversations and talked about programs and looked at historic documents. And you know, this has been done for, for quite a long time. Uh, my predecessor, was uh, doing her her master's degree there, and she did this amazing study, uh, and she did she went out and 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 she talked to community members. I think the program was called Yo Cuento, which is kind of a double entendre, right? I count, but also I tell stories, right? And so it was. She went out there and she sought that information as a graduate student. Um, and so her, her, her report, uh, S.D. Rivera Murdoch is, is her name. She went on to do amazing things in the park service. And, and now she works for a nonprofit up in, in uh, near Denver. Uh, the um, I forget the name of the uh, Friends organization, but it's uh, uh, the Rocky Mountain something or other. But it's Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, but anyway, she's you know, she's a big wig up there. And, and you know, uh, she's she's young like me. Well, not young like me, probably younger than me. I'm almost 50. Young at heart, young at heart, Cam. Right, right, right. But we, we came into this thing with the same kind of passion. You know, we wanted to create opportunities, kick the door open for other young people to come in behind us, you know. And, you know, that's the secret in community engagement is if you're going to attempt to engage those communities, you have to go to them and say, how do you want me to engage you? Because if we come in and say, we're the federal government, we're going to do it this way. It's, it's not going to be sustainable. And so those folks aren't necessarily going to trust you. So you've got to work within those organizations and meet those people who are as passionate as you are about doing this, you know? And so uh, my approach coming into this has always been from the public health perspective. I said, you know, we're not going to get these populations to come to the park, pay the fees to get in because it's, you know, a tradition, an American tradition and, and it's recreation. They can go a whole bunch of other places for recreation and not have to pay you know the fee um so the way we're going to do it is we're going to create this notion this idea which is real these are their parks they pay for them as taxpayers 
And if we don't protect these places, um, you know, they're going to disappear. Uh, whether whether they get, you know, shuttered because there's there's not enough financial support or whether there's political inclinations to turn these, these public lands into private, you know, assets. And so we, we, we have to keep people um, really in, in invested in, in, in keeping these public spaces uh, as they are, as they were close to 100 years ago, and as they will for future generations. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a trick, you know. So um, I think my, 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 my hope is that I can continue to develop partnerships with entities like the University of Arizona. Dr. Martha Monroy there has been instrumental in, in creating a volunteer corps for me. Uh, every year I get about 100 volunteers from her, um, you know, and they get extra credit for giving me 15 hours of community service. And they come in and they volunteer for me at events, um, you know, and some of those folks end up getting internships with us, you know, whether they're academic or they're, you know, they're, they're paid internships. You know, we created a program a few years back um, you know, before I got there, the program was created, in fact, uh, and it was through the Friends Group and through our park leadership, and they created this program called the Next Generation Ranger Corps, and it was their answer to uh, what was happening with those internships I was talking about, and, and they said, if we're going to attempt to recruit these underrepresented audiences, we're going to have to create a paid internship, and, and an internship that has a livable wage so they can continue to go to college but work part-time and get paid, you know, a salary that they can live off of. Because if we expect them to live off of, you know, a stipend, they're just not going to come. And we're going to keep getting the same folks that we get. And that, while that's good, we end up with a population that ends up moving from interns into staff. And when you're looking at a staff that's predominantly white male, we don't have those spaces for women or for people of color. Um, you know, and, and, and all the other intersections. So that, that, that program has been a lifesaver. I mean, it's, um, it's not super, um, you know, advertised, but we, we make a, an effort to, to recruit the students that we need for, this, for the opportunities that we have, because we have to have matching funds and stuff like that. So it's, it's not super easy, but it's definitely worthwhile. And, you know, the, the last two um, executive directors of uh, Friends of Saguaro National Park have been incredibly um, instrumental in continuing that work, and so, like I said before, I'm I'm not the only person you know doing this this diversity work at, at, at our park, but uh, nationally, other parks call us and say, "How did you do this? How are you How are you addressing this? How is this getting funded?" And so, we're creative. You know, we're definitely within the lines, but we're creative. You know, and, and we're changing the way the park service has done you know business for for a while and. And, and staying within those traditions as much as possible. So um, it's, like I said, I'm, I'm proud to do this work. Um, um, I'm able to tell the stories of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. I'm able to talk to folks um, and engage with them. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guest today was Cam Morris. He was born to migrant farm worker parents in Yuma, Arizona. He's a founding member of the Arizona Cesar E. Chavez Holiday Coalition. He joined the Park Service in January 2016, where he's now the Community Engagement and Outreach Coordinator and Public Information Officer for Saguaro National Park, where he serves on the park's leadership team. This has been part one of a two-part series. 
You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Schager.